Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jump around. Jump around. Jump around. Welcome back, Sports to the Max. Super Bowl completed. You always got to do a little bit of a recap on that as you ease into the next sports. Joining me now, Bernie Kukar. He worked the uh, Super Bowl as head referee more than once, including Tom Brady's first Super Bowl championship game. And uh, there's always going to be a few calls. And, and I think yesterday's, it was, um, you didn't notice the officials much until the last couple of minutes. He joins us now. Bernie, how are the slopes at Lutzen treating you? They were terrific today. Bright really? sunshine, not many skiers there. Most, most of them went home from the weekend, of course. And the snow was pretty good, so you can't ask for any better. No wind either. They got pretty good base of snow? Oh, yes. Not a problem up here. We have a lot of snow. So all you skiers, get up here. And snowmobiles. There's plenty of that, too. Mm, fun stuff. Bernie, you watched the game yesterday. You always do so. So, you know, you're watching, and, and you didn't, there, weren't, there, there, there was the one call that started the second half. Yeah. 75-yard. Like uh, yeah, the first play of the second yep. half. Yep. And why was that not? I knew offense? you were going to ask about that one. Well, well you know, I have, it's a two pronged question. One is, I mean, he actually got Ramsey's face mask and everything. He made a yeah. he made a great yeah. move on it. But but the, 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 you know, after that play, famous playoff game with New Orleans, everybody said you got to make interference reviewable. I've never seen any interference called on review, so nobody challenges it. Explain this rule. Interference, you mean? No, not interference. But but you remember after the playoff game, they said you got to make it so you can challenge an interference call. You know? Oh, oh yeah. Well, that was in last year, and because of all the controversy they had with it, and I told I talked to those people when they uh, were going to input that into the system, and I said you're opening up a big can of worms here if you do that, because the whole idea originally was. The replay was not going to be used for any foul calls except one, and that was if there was too many guys out on the field at one point. But when you put it in there, and if you recall, even the Vikings got burned on it on one situation. I can't remember all the details. But, yeah, that was put in for one year, and they found out that they did open up a can of worms on that thing, and so it was taken off the books for this year. So, so when you see a play like that, and obviously we see it in slow motion. What happens, how does one miss something like that? Is it because it happens so quick and there's just, there's, you know, both hands, you know, both the defender and, and the receiver are engaged and it's hard to, I mean, why does that happen? Well, I'll tell you what happened on this one. I think that the uh, side judge there just kind of got, got surprised because of the first play of the second half. And I did look at that again. 
later after that happened, and again tonight, because I knew you were going to ask about that one, <laughs> and that side judge, he was he is supposed to be five yards in front of the deepest guys. That was his man on that sideline. Okay. So he should have been a buffer zone five yards down from where that happened, and he got caught standing. I just looked at the play. He got caught flat-footed standing there and didn't move until it was actually too late. He's 10 yards away from it, so you can imagine if you're 10 yards behind the play, there's no way he's going to see that face mask kind of deal. And the other thing that comes into it is maybe the back judge could pick that up, but then when, when I looked at it again, there is a receiver that's cutting right over the middle, and he's heading right at the back judge. That's the back judge's guy. And so he was probably more interested in seeing what was this guy up to before he could switch over and see that the ball was not going to be thrown to him but over on the sideline. So actually, the side judge got caught flat-footed is what happened. So, so how does it work with the crew? Do, do you, If you see something that you know is a foul but it's not in your zone, so to speak, it's not in front of you, do you assume that if you see it and it's a foul that they didn't see it and you throw your flag? How, how does a unit decide that? Well, they would come together. If the back judge threw the flag and the side judge didn't, then the back judge probably would have went over there and said, did you see anything? And and that's when the side judge would have probably said to him, darn it, I got caught flat-footed on that one. No, I don't see anything, but if you got it from your angle, fine, we're going to go with it. That's usually when you see two officials or two or three or even four sometimes come together. That's normally what happens. But, but you got to make sure that you saw it. If you're, you know, if you're twenty, yeah. thirty yards away, you better make darn sure yeah. that you saw what you saw, right? Oh yes. As a referee, that was my job. When something like that happened, I'd go running down there and I'd say, "Okay, side judge, how come you didn't throw the flag on it? That was definitely in your zone." And the back judge says, "I don't know why he didn't, but the fall is there, and you can tell when you're looking him in the eye." If he knows for sure, uh, or if he says, oh, I'm not quite sure, you can tell by just looking at him at the situation. Now, in this day and age, are you getting a peek from that Jumbotron often? No, you don't You don't have time to look up there, believe but, me. But, but, I mean, as they're replaying it, as you, like, let's say you're huddling? What, you mean after the play is over? Yeah. Well, sometimes you might peek on a play like that. Because <laughs> you just want to get it right, right? I mean, that's the bottom yeah, line. Right, yeah. But it's too late then. You can't do any of the plays over. And when they show it up there, you can't go throwing a flag in there at that point. They used to tell us that we we do not want you guys to look at those jumbotrons. Yeah, but bad form, we, huh? Let somebody yeah, else look at those. Yeah, so, but by the next play that happens, and then they usually, they usually throw it up there after the next play then you might take a peek at it, but you certainly can't throw the flag after the play is long gone. That's for sure. Okay, so so now I heard Gene Seratory talking um, on the radio. He said they're asking about refereeing a Super Bowl, and he says you remind the crew that you ain't fishing for minnows; you're fishing for whales. That's exactly right. And it, 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 that's a great line, isn't it? So let's not get caught up in the ticky tack. These guys know how to play the game, or they wouldn't be here. Let's just that's make right. sure we don't have bad plays, you know, bad fouls that we miss that determine the game. That's exactly right. I ta- I taught Gino that trick. He was Did on you? my crew the first year he was in the league. Really? <laughs> he, he pretty good? Oh, yeah. He was really good. No question about that. But, yeah, that's exactly what you tell him in the locker room before you go out. On a- what I used to say is, okay, boys, now we're not calling anything 
unless the entire stadium knows what it is. Ah. So <laughs> the so-called ticky-tacks, you don't fool around with that in playoff games and or Super Bowls because this is, you know, it's for all the marbles. And if it's a regular season, you know, these guys probably commit more falls during the regular season because they know there's another tomorrow. Well, you get in the playoffs or the Super Bowl, there are no more tomorrows. So you've got to make darn sure that you get the good, the big ones, and don't worry about the pity little things. Now, now I'm watching these last two minutes. Now, um, the Rams are, you know, they're, they're down to, they, they've lost um, right. uh, key players, right? Higby yeah. and Beckham, et cetera. And, and again, it's like everybody in the stadium knows, well, they're going to try to throw the ball to Cooper Cup. Do the referees need to anticipate that? Do, do they? Do you need to play the game with, with strategically with the teams that says, okay, they're going to do everything they can to prevent Cooper Cup from making a catch here. Therefore, there's a good chance they're going to put hands on him, get physical with him, hold him with the line of scrimmage. Do you have to anticipate that or not? Well, I don't think as an official down on the field you anticipate that. You say to yourself, hey, there's critical situations coming up here, and if we get a past us in my zone, I better be in a good position to see what's going to happen here. So, but that that definitely happens. And then they, you recall there's some timeouts involved there, so the crews usually get together and say, boy, we got to pay attention because there may be some crossing patterns here. And I don't know if you realize it, but the three deep guys, they're like there's his own defense back there. They all have like three, one-third of the field to be looking at. And the problem usually comes when you got crossing receivers that cross because the guy from the side sometimes, when his guy cuts over the middle and another guy's coming back at him, they have to let that one go and pick up the other one. And sometimes it's right on the seam where they got to leave him go, let the back judge get him, or pick the new guy coming up cross. And that's when sometimes they miss the, those types of plays because it's right at the seam where they're releasing their man and taking the guy that's coming across. Okay, Bernie Kukar is our guest, former head referee in the NFL, talking about yesterday's Super Bowl. So we get down to the last two minutes, and, and it's this, this drive, which is going to be a semi-famous drive. Um, mm-hmm. And, and uh, I forget, number 55, the linebacker for Cincinnati, gets called for an interference, and, and you watch it. Technically, were his hands on him? Yeah, but were they were they, were they both playing kind of hand-wrestling, et cetera? Yeah. Uh, how, how do you know? I, I mean, is it because his hand was on the back? Does that autom- Is that like an automatic or what? No, if his hand is just... On the back, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. He, he was kind of trailing him a little bit, and maybe alongside of him, and his hand was on the back. But if that doesn't do anything, it, he's got to turn him a little bit from that hand being there. If there's no turn, if he's just reaching around and gets at the ball, but his hand is just sitting on the back without anything going on there, that's not a fall. But if there's a grab of the shirt, too, at the same time, sometimes that happens, it may not be pass interference. It could possibly be defensive holding, too. Sure. That happens. Did you think, though, so in the last two minutes people say, oh, man, the game was flowing, and then all of a sudden the referees started to get involved. Do they get involved, or is it they get involved because the stakes are so high for Cincinnati to give up a touchdown that the nature of the way they play the game changed, and they started holding and, and, and yep, playing yep. the game differently? Oh, yeah, don't forget, they were down on about the, what, six-yard line or so? Yeah. And Cincinnati knows that they have got to stop them, or this game is probably going get, to get away from them. Yeah. So they might be doing a little bit more if they get beat a little bit. There was a particular play 
on the sidelines where there was interference in the end zone, and that you could, it was hard to see, but then when they slow-moed it, you could see the defender was pulling on the shirt yep. of the receiver, and two flags came out on that one. Now, you've got to make a decision here. Well, was that pull actually affecting the play? Well, in this league, if they grab a hold of the shirt, you can bet they took a half a step away from that receiver. Yep. So that's what you go go by. Yeah, and, you, and, you, and then you have to calculate, right? Is a half a step could be a touchdown, right? Exactly, exactly. That's all they need is that half a step. And, and if the defender is beaten, he knows that, so he's going to try to slow that receiver down by that little pull and hope that the officials don't see it. Bernie Kukar is our guest. Now, after a season like this, you know, they, they review everything on a weekly basis and, and, and they go from there and they, you know, they, they make their decisions on what to do. How does it work? Do, do they look at everything that happened in totality, number of penalties, et cetera, and say, okay, here's some changes we need to make. Um, let, let's change this penalty is getting called too often. What happens? Well, no, I don't think they'll be. We'll look at the trends that happen during the course of the year. And they'll look at anything that even if you wanted to send in a request, for example, that's what the competition committee does. They will look at everything and decide if they need to change the rules someplace. And I got involved with about two or three of those kind of situations. They used to bring a referee in when the competition committee met and discussed all this stuff. And then when they were actually discussing about changing a rule of some type, they would ask the referee who was sitting there with them, how are we going to officiate this if we make this change? And so they're looking for input on that. And I remember one time when uh, Mike Holmgren was in charge of that committee, they usually have, at that time, they had three coaches, three general managers, and three owners on the competition committee. And they're the ones that make suggestions to the owners. The owners are are the guys that had the last say and they're going to change anything. So in this particular instance, when they were all done discussing whatever it is that they were discussing, Holmgren turned to me and he says, well, do you have anything? And I said, yeah. I said, tell me, at that time, I said, tell me why we have five different penalties for illegal touching. And all those guys sat there looking at me like, what are you talking about? So I listed them. And then they looked at each other and said, well, what should we do? I said, change it. One penalty, or I should say one penalty for all of those illegal touches and make life easier for everybody. And they did. And so that was a case where, you know, you get it right, you get it better, and and, and, yeah. and you move on. Now, I remember there used to be a theory that whoever, when the coaches were on the competition committee, that she had to watch them and see if they were trying to change the rules in favor of their roster. In other words, you know, if it was a, a light oh, yeah. roster on the offensive line, they, they wanted more latitude on holding, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Do you have to watch that? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what the competition committee is for. Is to make sure there's checks and balances? They'll send in suggestions, and if if some team feels that there was so much holding going on that they want to call it a little tighter, they would look at all of that stuff and say, no, 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 we're okay with that. This is the kind of stuff we want covered right here. Mm -hmm. We don't worry about all the little stuff that don't affect anything. So, yeah, each coach has a pet peeve that he sends in there, and that is discussed by the entire committee, and then the, the uh, recommendations 
are made to the owners when they get together about a month after the competition committee gets together. Last question, Bernie. How, how many referees in a normal year will be replaced, and and what's the attrition rate, and how, how many will just be told, hey, you're not good enough here anymore, we got somebody better than you? How, how does that work? Well, that's, a, that's where a rating system comes in. Now, the officials are rated on every single play of every single game all season long. And it's not necessarily just if they made the right call or if they missed the call. It's also, are you in your, are you where you're supposed to be? If you're out of position or those things. So you, if you are, you get downgraded for all those. And at the end of the year, then they just, they total up all the points. And whoever is the highest rated at their position, those guys are going into the Super Bowl. And the second highest rated guys are going into the championship games and so on down the line. Now, if your ratings are such that you haven't gotten a playoff for four or five or six years, chances are they're going to say to you, well, I think maybe you better start, start looking at doing something else. Uh-huh. And, and will most of them go to the college game then, or what happens? Well, once they're done with the NFL, I don't recall any of them that go back to the college level. Okay, they just they just basically retire, and, and that's the end of it. But uh, I would to answer your question directly. In my day, it usually was around something like seven percent were were changed either for natural attrition or because they weren't getting the job done. I got you, but there there is something they're held accountable for. And, and I promised the last question: How much when, when you factor in all that stuff, or in the right position, you make the right call? Where does communication come into that? Is, is there a box for that that says, "Hey, you know, this guy"? We keep getting complaints that that he the coaches can't get answers from him. The players don't like working with him when they ask him questions. He's not engaged. Does that come into effect or not? Oh, I think that if that comes in. It's going to be uh, into the league office, and that's where. The guys sitting up in New York are going to, if they hear enough of those kind of situations from more than one coach, I mean, uh, it's got to come from a half a dozen or eight of them. If they, if they hear the same thing coming from six or eight coaches, then they're going to look into it pretty tight. But if they're, you know, there's always a coach that he just gets upset because he thinks the official blew a call. Well, yeah, nobody's perfect in this right. business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. We're hitting about, that's the one thing that the replay system did when it first came in. It showed that we were hitting on about 94 to 95% on the calls. Yeah. So if anything, it, it enhanced the, the outlook of the officials in the eyes of the people that are watching these games. Well, I always thought you were at the top of the charts. I never would have challenged you on any call, Bernie. <laughs> You'd be the only one in the world. <laughs> Bernie, thank you so much. Uh, ski straight tomorrow. I will try. Always appreciate your offerings, buddy. Thanks for calling. We'll talk to you again, Mike. You bet. Bernie Kukar. Interesting to go behind the scenes with the Super Bowl referee, isn't it? Um, there's, uh, there's lots of stuff that goes into being a referee. One of them is, well, it's a little bit what we've talked about with the NFL teams that, that um, is interesting. Let's put it that way. I'll explain when we come back. Stay with us. So if you want to be a referee, you got to start by refereeing whatever you can referee, then work your way up to high school, and then uh, small college, college, pro is usually the way to go. Uh, but it's a little bit like coaching. You don't leave necessarily your community, but the commitment that you have to make um, 
to move up as a referee is you better be into this thing. And, and, and there be, better be a lot of off nights that you spend studying, looking at, uh, watching film with other referees, all those things. Then you got to politic too. You got to be, be in there and, 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 and try to make your case as to why you, you know, you become worthy of the next assignment. But you better really care about it if you want to move up in the profession. Now, you know, some, a lot of guys, and we need them at all levels, you know, they just want to work JV games. But I'm saying if you want to be where Bernie Kukar went, it, it ain't easy, man. You got to put the time in and the effort, and you got to get noticed, and you got to do it time and time again, and you got to grade out well, and, and you got to grade out well the next game. You got to do all those things at every level to work your way up. And it's also a lot of meticulously watching uh, film, exchanging ideas with other referees, talking to commissioners of leagues, what are the problems, what aren't, all those things go into it. And it's, um, it, it's no small task. And, and so you better love it. It better be a labor of love if you want to get there. Now, we need referees at every level. We've talked about this. High school, JV, uh, every level, junior high, all those things. Um, that's that's different. That you could do as a hobby and you can get to be pretty good at it um, because generally speaking, the people that do it have played the sport before. They know the game well. They can anticipate all those things. But I'm saying if you want to get to that level, level, whatever you want to call it, it is a different ball game, pardon the pun. When we come back, what's up with the Wolves? Are, are, are they good? Are they? Uh, I mean, are they ready to win a playoff series? They're confusing, but I tell you what, they're fun. Trent Tucker will fill in the blanks on the other side. Stay with us. Sports with Max on the air. Trent Tucker is our guest, NBA veteran, and much more. Uh, Trent, before we talk about that, you were the athletic director of the Minneapolis City Conference. You know how uh, tight that community is or tries to be. And obviously they're going through a terrible time right now with the, the death of Deshaun Hill. Um, explain as best you can what that community is going through and how they handle a situation like this. You know, Mike, it's a very tough situation for, for us all. You know, and anytime a young man life is taken of of that nature is just very difficult for the family, for the community, for the school district, and and anyone who's a, who's a part of the city of Minneapolis. And you know, but you know, north, you know, the north side uh, people who are very resilient. You know, they would rally around each other, stick together, pull together, and they would find a way to get through uh, get through all of this. Yeah, they stick together pretty good, don't they? Yes, they do. And and at this time, that's what you need. You know, you need family, you need friends. You need a whole community now to come together and to and to support one another. And and as you mentioned before, this is a very, very difficult situation for a lot of people, you know, to grasp and deal with, you know, but somehow, some way I, I know that community will find a way to get through this. And there's still a killer out there somewhere. What what do you counsel the kids on, on that? I mean I mean, you know, you gotta be careful if they don't take justice into their own hands at some point in time. Well, what do you tell them about that? Well, you always tell them to be aware uh, as much as they can. You know the unfortunate thing. You know, you know, violence and 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 gun control is something that we need to try to get control of in our communities. And we know that violence and and, and guns in the hands of the wrong person is running rapid today through our communities. And so we we have to caution our kids as as much as we can, try to keep them as safely as as we can. But this is the environment that a lot of kids are living in today. Trent, of uh, lesser importance, but it is what helps us get through these winter months, the NBA and the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
Um, they won yesterday against Indiana. Chicago got them on uh, Friday with Zach Levine. Um, but they've been competitive and at least interesting. W- w- as you look at them 60 games in, where, where do they stand in your eyes right now? Uh, they are where I thought they would be at the beginning of the season. You know, uh, I felt like that they, they would be a playoff team. And they are right there knocking on the door, or getting that number six spot, not too far behind the Denver Nuggets. I think it might be a game and a half behind the Nuggets at this stage. You know, but they will have a chance, I believe, to have a shot, you know, if they don't get to number six to get to be in, in that playoff type, that play-in game situation to make the playoffs. I, I just felt like that when you look at the Western Conference, you know, some of those teams that we have known in the past to be very strong at this time of the year, they have come back to the pack. And the Wolves have shown some consistent play as of late to keep themselves right there in the picture. And, and you know, I saw Chris Finch about this today, that their head coach, about, um, you know, they, they've got kind of some strange problems here because they're, everybody's healthy. And when they weren't healthy, a lot of guys got to play, and they proved themselves. But, like, Doreen Prince didn't play yesterday, and he had been playing really well for them. How do you handle that piece of it? And what kind of, you know, what is the right rotation? How many guys deep should you go before you become less effective? Well, you know, the guys who got a chance to play because some guys were injured, they understand that now those, uh, those injured players are back. So they are going to go back to their normal roles. And the most important thing for them now mentally is to, is to maintain and stay consistent with their, with their workouts, making sure they're conditioning themselves after practice uh, to keep themselves ready once their numbers are called again. And that's what a team is all about. You know, a team is, is, a, big, is a big puzzle, and you're hoping that you have the right pieces to fit in that puzzle. And so far, it seems like the Wolves have the right pieces to do that. Who has impressed you the most coming off the bench for this team? Maybe that surprised you, but in general, who do you like uh, as their backups right now? I don't like just one, I think, collectively. Like you mentioned, Mike, you know, when guys go down, you know, guys have to be able to come in and step up. And there are going to be a number of guys who may have to fill some of those roles. And so I, I don't look at one at one guy to say that he made a huge difference. I look at them from a collective standpoint, and those guys have got it done by committee. Trent Tucker's our guest. Patrick Beverly, uh, again, he's had some some health issues, missed a lot of games, but he seems like a good move to me because you don't know what you're going to get from D'Angelo Russell in terms of how many games he's going to play. D- do you concur with that? Uh, no, Patrick Beverly is, is a guy that brings a, sub, a, a, a certain level of emotion you know, that you need to compete on a nightly basis at this level. And he's been on some very good teams. He understands what it's like to play with superstar-type players. And, you know, that information that he can share, you know, with Carl Anthony Towns and an emerging young guy and Anthony Edwards, you know, that's going to help those guys understand how to finish close games before the season is all over. And that's why it's so important to have that knowledge in the locker room. Now, um, you look at some of these teams, and, and you're, you're kind of waiting for, you know, do the Lakers, are, are they going to hit an on button here at some point in time and win 10 in a row and, and have momentum going into the playoffs? What's, what's holding them back? Uh, you know, their defense, the Lakers are very inconsistent with their defense. You know, I don't know if they have a defensive game plan, and when you don't have a game plan on how you're going to try to slow down or contain the opponent, it, it, it can lead to some very bad play. I don't think the Lakers are going to have, 
you know, one of those stretches where they might win 10 in a row. But the scary thing for anyone who may have to play them in a one-game type situation, we all know that LeBron James is good enough to get it, to get the job done in a situation like that. Is Westbrook done, or where does he stand? Do you How many minutes a game can he play and play well? Well, I think it's up to the head coach to, to decide how he's going to use Russell Westbrook going forward. Because right now, having him play a large amount of minutes have not been good for the L.A. Lakers. And finally, you know, Frank Vogel has, has made a decision that, hey, you know, if you're playing well, I can stay with you, but I cannot afford to have you out there having eight, nine, or ten turnovers. That's not good for our team. And I'm, and I'm glad to see also for the first time the head coach step up and take charge. Yeah, and it's a hard locker room maybe to do that. But what's happened to Westbrook? Is that just age, a product of age, or what? I don't know. You know, I was surprised, Mike, to see a guy, you know, who, who last year helped the Washington Wizards, you know, get into a playoff-type situation. He was close to averaging, once again, a triple-double for the season. To, he, to see him fall so quickly, to see the inconsistent play, uh, his decision-making has not been good also. And when, he, when, he, when he's not able, you know, to do the things that we've seen over the last few years, that's a bad sign for the Lakers. Andrew Wiggins will start in the All-Star game. Uh, obviously, that's a fan ballot kind of a thing. But w- w- how good is he? Give us some perspective. How, how much has he benefited from being an, a Golden State Warrior? Um, a lot. But he's a very talented player, okay? He's a very, very talented player. And now he's just found a system you know, that allows him to do the things that he does best. And... You know, he's worked hard to get into this position, but Mike, you know, as as well as I know, you've been around the game for a very long time. You know, when a player can find his comfort zone, and all of a sudden now that system fits exactly what he loves to do, his game goes to a whole new level. Isn't that the truth? At every level, right? I mean, I don't care, high school, junior high, whatever. When you start to realize that there's a role that you can play and you accept it and enjoy it, whoo, does that change things in a hurry, huh? Oh, no doubt about it. No, everything now becomes fun. Practice becomes fun. Being around your teammates is a whole lot better. You love the coaching staff. The fans are great. So everything is working for you right now because you're playing loose and free. And that's what Andrew Wiggins is doing at this point. Trent Tucker is our guest. The uh, Phoenix Suns obviously have been the story of the West to an extent this uh uh, this year, you know, we're going to win streak like that, etc. Uh, it's it's Booker and Paul and and much more I know. But explain Phoenix to me. Why why are they so good? Chris Paul, he's brought a level of stability, you know, to that team. It's a it's a team that that had talent, but they didn't have a leader. And when Chris Paul came over, he became that leader on the floor. Uh, his playoff experience, his his work habits every single day very valuable in a young locker room. So now those guys understand from a mindset standpoint the things they need to do every single day to better themselves so the team can become better. Chris Paul is one of the best leaders in the game today. I thought he might be done. Did did you too or did you see this in him? Well, when you have guys that can take pressure off of you and now you don't have to be the primary offensive player on a nightly basis, you know, you can pick and choose when you can when when you can help a team from that standpoint. His playmaking game did not suffer. Chris Paul was in situations where, as he got a little bit older, they were still asking him to carry the team offensively. Now he can rely on other guys to do that. And in the fourth quarter, he's a lot fresher, where he can take over and make some key baskets coming down the stretch. 
to get his team over the hump. Well, if you were Greg Popovich, would you say, hey, man, i got to find another team to coach because I, I, I can't I, – I don't want to rebuild. I want, I want to go coach a good team. Is, is he in that position? What do you see from him? No, he, you know, he's a lifer in San Antonio. He's not going anywhere. You know, the day that he decides to leave the game and, and, and hang it up, you know, he will leave as a San Antonio Spurs head coach. Interesting. Uh, Gopher basketball team won a game against Penn State. Your old team did. And, and you know, they've been close for 30 minutes or so. Uh, they, they seem to lack a little size, Big Ten kind of size. You see what in terms of when you look at, say, next year for this team? Well, they have to get some size for sure. Uh, you know, this team has has been has been fun to watch this year. They play hard. They play together. You know, Ben Johnson and his staff, those guys have done a very good job of convincing these guys that, you know, they can win, they can stay in games and compete. But going forward, like you mentioned, Mike, for one, they're going to have to upgrade the talent level and size as well if they want to contend in the Big Ten next year. And, and, and would you do that through the transfer portal? Uh, I would look anywhere I can, you know, to find players. And But I want to find the right players. I want guys to who I know that would come in and fit into my system. And they can play a huge role and be a great piece to what we're trying to do. And like I mentioned before, you know, a team is like a big puzzle. And when you begin to, to look for players, you got to find, you know, the right characters. you got to find the right mindset. you got to find the right talent for all, for all of this thing to work. When Trent Tucker came into the University of Minnesota, there was a big guy in the post named Kevin McHale. What did he do for you as a shooter? I guess I never asked you that. What, what did that do to have a seasoned vet like that uh, uh, in the post for, for a guy like you that wanted to shoot it? Well, you know, the good thing about my game, Mike, when you're a shooter, you can, you know, you can play any style. If yep. you want to play fast and get up and down and shoot jump shots and transition, I could do that. But when you have an inside player like Kevin McHale who can demand the double teams, all of a sudden, now that's going to open out, open up the outside game, and so for a spot up shooter like myself, you know that's, you know that was a, that was a great place to be in, because when you're a shooter, you want to play with a great point guard, someone who can break down the defense and penetrate, and force that defense to collapse. So now that you can find open space for outside jump shots, or you want an inside player that can do the same thing with his game with his back to the basket. So when you had Mark Hall at the point and him inside, a pretty good combo for you, huh? Oh, yeah. You know, and I, and I was just talking about Mark Hall to some, to some people the other day, some guys who grew up with him in Springfield, Massachusetts. And they were asking me the question, you know, how good was Mark Hall? I said Mark Hall was really good. And I would be the first to say of the five or six guys who was recruited in 1978, you know, Mark Hall, from a talent standpoint, you know, he was the best. NBA talent? He had NBA talent. He had NBA talent for sure. But, you know, some of the things, you know, you know, outside, off the court, you know, took Mark Hall away from doing the things yeah. that he did best on the court. But when you talk about pure talent, physical, you know, Mark Hall was the best. He, he could turn guys around. He could break ankles, as they say, couldn't he? Oh, and also, you know, he could finish over the top. You know, when I first came to the University of Minnesota and saw Mark Hall play, I was like, wow, I haven't seen a player that good yet. And, <laughs> and, you, and you came from a good. hotbed, man. Yeah, and Mark Hall was that good. He was, he, he, he was that good. Yeah, he left us before his time. Trent, thank you so much for some perspective and insight. Always appreciate it, sir. 
Anytime, Mike. Stay warm out there, buddy. You too, Trent Tucker. Now the hockey dad, the suburban hockey dad. Um, but you know what? He's the kind of guy that says, if my kids want to play hockey, they play hockey. If they want to play Frisbee, they play Frisbee. You don't force them to do anything, and that's pretty cool. Take a break. Come back. Sports to the max. Welcome back. Tomorrow I'll be in 9 to noon. One of my guests is going to be Jaleel Hill. She works uh, uh, both for trauma, accidents, uh, issues, uh, shootings, whatever happens in a hospital. And she works at the Shiloh Temple where they've got, unfortunately, three uh, services coming up. We'll visit with her about that tomorrow at 10.35 a.m. Uh, I'll be sitting in 9 to noon on News Talk 830 WCCO. One of the things that they found when they've done a survey is that point th- or 3% of the uh, white-collar workers uh, want to come back to the office on a regular basis. 3% is all. And um, I understand that people have gotten comfortable now with where they are and working from home and the conveniences of it. But I, I want to caution those of you that think that that's a good idea because you've gotten used to it and and you don't have to do traffic. And I get that. I hate traffic. And you don't have to, you know, I, I paid whatever, $2,500 a year minimum for parking in downtown Minneapolis. Um. There's lots of things. You know, I eat out every meal in Minneapolis downtown, and, and you don't have to do that if you're at home. But I want to caution you, because that looks like a really good way to go. But to not have that interaction, that personal interaction, I think it takes something from you. And as inconvenient as it is, I think it robs you of something that is is a joy in your life. Just today, I went out and we shot a story at a local high school. This girl's a phenomenal basketball player. She scored forty one points the other night. She's five feet two and a half inches. And by going out there, and I could have done these interviews in Zoom, right? But I went out to the school and to see her walk into the hallway, and you go, "You really are only five two and a half," you know. I mean, I mean, it just it does something to you. And then her mom is the coach, and you interact, and you visit with them. And then an assistant coach happens to come walking in, and he starts to tell me about uh, how he coached um, um, Joe Maurer and, and Royce White when they were just growing up on, in St. Paul. And it's like we get into this conversation, and we start talking about people that we know. I never would have seen him if I had just requested a Zoom with with, with, uh, with the head coach and, and the player, nor would I have seen that she really is only five two and a half, which is, you know, uh, which you go, my God, if you can do that, you can do anything in life. And and it's inconvenient for me to drive over there as opposed to do a Zoom. It really is. It, it, it's, it's a pain to get in my car and drive all the way over there when I could just do a Zoom. But when you're there, you feel the vibe, the something, the chemistry, the connection, and you can only get that from being with people in person. You can't get that, even if you can do your work efficiently at home. And there's something to be said for that, that being with people and the energy that we draw from it. A great lesson in that in the 8 o'clock hour. She's heading for Division One scholarship until her knee gives out and she misses her senior season. Her dad is the assistant coach. How does he get her through it? He'll explain when we come back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.